So I can see that you're expecting something, you know, good luck, you know. So a little bit uh, this morning, you know, I have this tradition where uh, I don't put talks together. The talks put me together in the sense of uh, sitting down and I uh, write a poem that uh, is my theme uh, to get through uh, this untangling of uh, these tangles of understanding. So I had to email it over here to the office, and so I uh, looked on the what's that? The internet, and um, <laughs> and being the time of year, you know, uh, I had a very uh, kind of what sad moment uh, that, uh, see, in less than a month I'm going uh, to India, to Bihar, where the uh, Buddha was enlightened, and I've spent you know, probably 10 years of my life in Asia and uh, on, this, uh, on this practice of kind of seeking. Um, and I saw that in Delhi it was 2.3 degrees centigrade, and that in Bihar State, which is usually where I hang out a lot, uh, that, uh, you know, they were saying there were 39 deaths from cold, you know. And it wasn't all that cold, but it was cold enough, you know. And uh, it took me back to, the uh, first time I went to India, my mother took me in 1961, you know. And we are in New Delhi when they had, a, 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 it actually went below zero, it actually went to freezing, and I remember I was 14 years old and I went out um, that morning on the streets and just, you know, I was like fascinated. And we were staying in Old Delhi and um, India was quite, it was somewhat different then. It doesn't change too much. But I went out and there was a truck uh, driving through the streets and they were uh, picking up bodies that had uh, died from exposure during the night. And I remember just as a kid, it was sort of like, oh, oh my gosh, you know. And suddenly the sense of privilege and, and uh, understanding that, um, you know, uh, we live in such a protected uh, world. You know, and I'd seen uh, my grandparents, uh, I grew up mostly in Switzerland, but I would come in the summers and they had a funeral home. So I would kind of see, we, we used to, as kids, we'd sneak in to see the, you know, the, what, the dead people on the slabs, you know? And there was some, you know, there was a fascination and all that, but there wasn't, you know, it was like they died for some, because they, most of them that we thought were old, you know? But, uh, that was not true in Delhi, and they had all these bodies piled up, and you know, and sort of um, in their rawness or nakedness, you know. And sometimes in this culture, part of this thing about the dark, I think, uh, is that uh, we're extremely privileged, and that in that privilege, sometimes uh, there is. Uh, we don't have the contrast of how this works, except for internally on some level. You know. 
So I'd like to read you my poem, and then we'll see what to do and where to go, if we go anywhere. It's called Outside Perfect. I think you know what I mean. Outside Perfect. I was thinking first of, you know, the two days of uh, coming up the hill after lunch. And I've never seen this before at Spirit Rock, and I was talking to one of the cooks, even hadn't seen this, where um, many of you were laying out in the grass, you know. And it was absolutely this, you know, like, wow. You know, what is this place? (laughs) No, but I know what's going on inside. (laughs) But, um, so, outside perfect. The sun thinned by its distance from us. The darkness close at hand. The night skies reflected on the inside. This small shimmering. Was it this perfect weather or this undisturbed awareness? Yet darkness creeped from the ground and sky, giving the small nudge to our smallness, giving the small nudge to our smallness. Easy to buy and easy to deny. The darkness that shows up at our doorstep, knocking, But again, we came to this place curious and sometimes bewildered, waiting only to release the frozen and forgotten parts, only to release the frozen and the forgotten parts. Yet the stickiness of the stories, tattooed, to the fierceness of the storyteller. Stickiness of the stories, tattooed to the fierceness of the storyteller. Tell me again and maybe again, why should this work? Sitting in silence, removed from a world always tugging at our sleeves. Could it be so simple, sitting on the sidelines of the world, finding three simple tools, which we already owned, knowing when we have this gratitude, forgiveness, and attention. Finding these three simple tools, knowing we have this gratitude, forgiveness, and attention. The body, in its wisdom, has its fundamental truth, ease, 
This mind in its delusive narcissism cannot see itself missing its own luminosity. This fundamental brightness brought on by mind in body. This fundamental brightness brought on by mind in body. When you have to show up at love's doorway only in these old battered rags, barefoot and foolhardy, knowing it is something undeserved and unearned, and yet, and yet, this naked, naked, holy, sacred heart knows how many times it has wished for something else. Knowing it's no longer about something or someone, but something much, much bigger. This heart as big as the world this grand mysteriousness, spaciousness, mind anchored to body ready to meet the world. Mind anchored to body ready to meet the world. Heart can now lead the way. Anything else? (laughs) So this is from Carl Jung. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. By making the darkness conscious. So in this practice of coming here and sitting in the kind of uh, center of your uh, own confusion, uh, your own, um, these battered old rags of stories that you have told many times. And this wanting always somehow is never enough, never fulfilled only to arise, be noticed, and sometimes gives us a moment, and then it disappears in this river of time. So we come to this practice with a fundamental possibility. And this possibility is that we have to begin to change our attention, which from very young has been trained in essence, to find its safety in the external world, 
uh, one of the great privileges I've had is um, I was born in Kansas, was there for two months, and then I went to El Salvador, and and, uh, my father had a a small little factory there, and and, uh, we were there until I was uh, four or so, and uh, I learned to speak and uh, in a kind of Mayan dialect, or kind of broken dialect. And uh, something happened. I never knew exactly what. But, you know, we ended up on one of those DC-3s with one suitcase uh, coming to America. And um, I stopped speaking. Whatever happened. You know, and I've been back and back many times. But at the time, I... I always joke and say, oh, that was my first retreat. I stopped speaking for a year, you know. And I was put into a school for autism as an autistic child, you know. But I understand that somehow uh, this uh, languaging, that uh, we can create a world of words that uh, becomes a reality. So we think in language. And sometimes we think that experience is language. And here we come to sit, and first of all, of course, there is the storytelling and the storyteller. But you're going to get tired of that. And from this place where you get tired, you have to turn around and start to notice the simplest thing. And the simplest thing is the fundamentals here is we turn our attention to this body. You do not breathe. Your body breathes you. So there's a place here where we have to come and we have to, in all of our manufacturing of the past and the future, that we have to somehow begin to understand that there is this possibility of experiencing present time, this flow of experience beyond the words. just sensations arising in this river of experience at tremendous speed. And at some point here, we keep pointing at it. But you know, the first piece here is we have to settle down. And when we settle down, then there's this possibility of our capacity to kind of stop and get below the languaging to the actual uh, simple, direct experience uh, that uh, the mind itself can make this fundamental contact. It's not complicated. This part is simple. 
the stories and the one who makes them up. It's complicated. But this is not complicated. This is actually quite simple, that we put our attention where the mind begins to recognize its capacity to feel the body. Nothing more. This is not some kind of rocket science. But this is the mind turning itself around and beginning to make full contact. You know, just as you sit there right now, there is this truth that uh, you can be here with me, listening, and you can also feel this body simultaneously sitting here. You know, and that a lot of times we simply note the body and we then we return to the nature of the mind and its uh you know its multiple aspects in its storytelling and languaging and uh its uh, recognition of uh past and association and future and all that stuff but the practice the healing that happens here is in that contact itself when the mind settles and stops going anywhere, but just stays for just moments. That there is something that's recognizable in there. It's a simple word. Uh, it's used in the metta phrases. And it's this word ease. You know, that as we start to begin to kind of let go of the complexity and kind of rest more and more in this contact. And really the simple. That you can begin to notice that there is a feeling. And the feeling is inherently in the mind making full contact with here, with what is happening in this river of experience. So our primary practice is simply to, again and again, and this is something that you can take out in the world with you, that somehow we try to train ourselves in some place in, uh, in the tradition. It's just uh, find a place to anchor your attention in your breath. You know? And if you can't do that, the body. Because it's just part of the body. And so we begin to strengthen this muscle that every time it uh, proliferates, it jumps on the train of association backwards, forwards, sideways, up, down, that uh, we, in essence, kind of bow to it and say, oh, can I just come back here? Can I begin to stay for a moment and see that in that simple contact between mind and body uh, that there is some kind of relaxing, some kind of ease that's not made up. It is already inherent in that contact. 
it's interesting there's a in the some of the Tibetan texts they talk about they use this description which I used in one of the groups the other day and it's about which I love which is about a ship way out in the ocean and there's a small bird on that ship And it constantly flies off, looking for land. But land is too far away. So it always has to return, return to the ship. No different than this storytelling and the truth about this mind. It goes off, but it has to come back. It comes back to here all the time. It never can land anywhere. It can make up all sorts of things. And it can stay sometimes for long periods of time. But eventually, it has no place to land. So it will return to this. And the habit is that somehow this isn't enough. You know, it's too simple. So maybe if with enough, you know, hope we could try again to fly off you know, and land nowhere. You just will come back. So this is the fundamental piece here. We start to say, oh, you know, actually where I live you know, uh, sometimes that there's a fine line between the past and the future. And the practice here is actually there, this fine line is we just want to open it up slightly. It's not to say that you're not going to go out there tomorrow and go run around and, and that thinking suddenly will be something else. No. It's simply that there is this possibility. Of inhabiting the gift uh, of this you could say, you know, incarnation, whatever you want to call it. But it is the fundamentals here of our sense experience. Now, there were three pieces I wanted to talk about tonight. One was ease, which has to do with the body. It's something that you find when um, the practice itself is understood and recognized. That it is uh, something simple and inhabitable and uh, in essence, um, there was a question this morning about trust. And there is something about the ease 
that when we begin to bring our attention back more and more, and there is a kind of relaxing that happens. And in that relaxing, one kind of leaves hope and fear behind and finds that there's another place to sit. So I used three words, ease, luminosity, and spaciousness in my poem. And that's really uh, where I'm going tonight. It's very simple stuff. It's about the fact that there's a body and that we have to, and the practice is fundamental in learning that. Uh, There is a mind. And the mind uh, is covered when there are moments of contraction and fear and uh, hope and, and uh, all the myriad emotions that come and uh, somehow uh, hold us in captivity that we can't see the nature itself of our minds. That is always coloring. And so we begin to believe that somehow The colors are what it is and what it's about. And that somehow if we can perfect who we are, you know, there's this this amazing culture in somehow believing that you can always be better, right? You know, and it's almost like there's uh, some kind of aggression that somehow says that you're not enough the way you are. You have to somehow, you have to raise the bar a little higher. You have to do it a little better. You know, a little more, whatever it is, a little more. So there isn't this recognition, this simple recognition that somehow that Uh, when we rest in the body, then we begin to see the nature of that knowing itself, the mind itself. That is simply colored by its own narcissism. You know, its own um, somehow desire to fill, to keep away its fear and to, perpetuate its hope. But from this practice's point of view, you're going to have to abandon both of those. This was a kind of a follow-up piece from last night that uh, is very poignant. I actually love David White's work. And um, this is a kind of continuation of Heather's piece around uh, him going in and meeting Vajrapani and this thing around the fear and then seeing uh, all his family in the carvings. So I'd like to read part of uh, his poem about this. It's uh, quite profound. Carved in the devotion... Their eyes have softened through the ages. 
and their mouths curve through delight of the carved hands, carver's hands. If only our faces would allow the invisible carver's hands to bring the deep grain of love to the surface. If only we knew as the carver knew the flaws in the wood that his searching chiseled, that he chiseled to the very core, would smile too and not need faces immobilized by fear or the weight of things undone. When we fight with our failings, we ignore the entrance to the shrine itself. When we fight with our failings, we ignore the entrance to the shrine itself and wrestle with the guardians, the fierce figures on the side of good. As we fight, our eyes are hooded with grief and our lips are drawn with pain. If only we could give ourselves to the blows of the carver's hands, the lines in our faces would be the trace lines of rivers feeding the sea, where voices meet, praising the features of the mountain and the cloud and the sky. Our faces would fall away until we, growing younger to our death every day, would gather all our flaws in celebration to merge with this imperfect, impossibly wedded to our essence, full of silence from the carver's hands. Beautiful. So there are so many kind of stories and ways that we cover uh, this essence, this truth of uh, actually a mind that's bright. You know, if you turn right now, there is something that knows. And just like when we turn and allow ourselves to feel the body and find that ease in it, there's also a way that we can let go of all the colors and the shades and the hopes and the fears and the, uh, all the pretended needs and wants, you know, and that there is something there that is knowing. And we've always trained since very little that somehow uh, what our senses experience, this, uh, the sight itself or the sound itself, that somehow it's always out there. And so the practice is actually to turn around and notice that behind all of this, there is this truth of this simple knowing that is bright and luminous and is never, it is not born, 
It doesn't die. It is only known by what's available, what's here and present. It can't be anywhere else. And it is a powerful truth that when we can turn our mind and let that luminous or that bright quality of this knowing or uh, sometimes I like the term undisturbed awareness, that it, like the body, can free. It can free all the complexities of the past and the future. And that we can learn to begin to rest more and more in this nature of that brightness, of that luminosity. And those are probably unsubstantial words to describe what I'm pointing at. But there is something that knows that you can recognize. And it's something you've always known. But we're so busy. So busy. That we never take the time to recognize this possibility that it has the power of freedom in its simplicity. You can't keep it. It only arises in moment after moment after moment. And it's not two. It's not two. You, know, you could say it just is. And as soon as there's two, we're somewhere else. We're back into the complexity. But at the same time, you have to recognize that you have this. It is your birthright. It was always there with you. It's not something you can lose, you know. So it begins to be recognized as like this body and ease, this friend that has a power, a power so great and grand that the stains that cover the clarity They're only manufactured. They're only things that appear. From the world of language. We hear words. We see things. We hear things. We feel things. We make up things. And there's two pieces here of practice that are important to recognize. One is simply that we can 
we have this power uh, to, as Heather was saying last night, that we have the power to let go. And its constant practice is the repetition of learning to come back and let go, come back and let go. If this is all you take with you, you're doing great. You know. But also, you've made up all these stories. You know what I mean? About everything. And my question is, how real are they? You know, we make up a past, we see it this way, we see it that way, and you know, Everybody sees it different. And we're all making up the past. So there's one piece that has to just let go. And another piece is actually uh, with our seeing and smelling and hearing, tasting and thinking, that we're actually knowing that instead of constructing the world, we began to deconstruct it. There's this impulse to question. And the question from that luminous mind is, how real is it? You know, And maybe I don't want to take that any farther tonight than just that question, you know. Are we just imputing kind of on everything that uh, it may not be what it appears to be? So you can really relax. It's okay. You know. And that somehow when we start getting how the mind is this manufacturer and it's manufacturing who I think I am and how it was and how it'll be and all the storytelling that goes on in this amazing storyteller. This narcissistic, you know, uh, it's kind of like a horse with blinders on. It can't actually see any farther than its construction. And we come to this practice actually to somehow loosen up those blinders, to open them slightly, you know. It's interesting that when the mind begins to inhabit the here and now, the body with its awareness of this possibility of relaxing and having ease 
and this mind-body connection that was always, by the way, possible. And it was there at moments. But, you know, the one thing was so strong and the fear was so strong that somehow we get confused. And we think somehow that we can solve it. We can kind of figure it out. Not so sure. Not so sure. But there is also this practice of when the mind and body kind of make this connection and we realize the manufacturing mind that kind of the, this narcissistic uh, self-involvement with everything that it limits and makes the world so small, you know. And we react so strongly to the barbed wire of the world. that when that relaxing is there and that ease is there, one begins to feel something. And before, it was always about the separateness and this narrowness and this narcissism of, of somehow, uh, you know, it's all about I and me and, you know, my, my story. It begins to thin. It begins to thin then the idea here that what seemed so separate was not actually separate. That that was the illusion, the delusion that somehow we were walking around in this self-created bubble. that bounced off all these other self-created bubbles. And suffered. And had hope. And wanted it this way or that way. Or afraid of this or afraid of that. But when those blinders begin to open some, then there is this possibility with this ease and this luminosity that there is this space. And the space is your heart. And it is not when one has moved just slightly or those blinders back and one begins to see the nature of the world and somehow, you know, this coming here at this time is uh, we have to go through that darkness. You know, it's such a culture that, you know, open 24 hours a day, 24 7. You know, That's the culture. 
And so there's this gift here. This gift of coming up against this simple silence. This amplified body and storytelling and questioning and, you know, so that we begin to see this self-created madness. And that it's not all you are. That there is a deeper listening that kind of breaks the trance of that narcissism, that self-involvement and somehow the darkness begins to open. That fishing for the light, the light is right here. It can't be anywhere else. That Neruda poem that Donald read that first night. And so there's this truth of beginning to own it and that you can actually take this piece of uh, light uh, with you. It's always been there. And yes, it's true. You have to know all the shades and the colors and, and study. Study so deeply. Your neurosis. You know. And uh, how it feels. And if you can really notice how it feels, there's some kind of intelligence that allows this trust that the heart actually knows its way. I was thinking earlier about this truth of of, uh, being a nomad. 
you know, and that the nomad, um, it tries to find the beginning of the wind. You know, and I've spent my life searching for the beginning of the wind. It takes you to many places, many times. It's okay to be a nomad. You know, nomad at me, nomad at you. <laughs> you know, it's okay to be a nomad. You know? The outside perfect. <clears throat> a blessing to be here this time of year with this weather this year. <laughs> Usually rainy and compounded. The sun, thinned by its distance from us, the darkness close at hand. The night skies reflected on the inside. This small shimmering. Was it this perfect weather or this undisturbed awareness? Yet darkness creeped from the ground and sky giving this small nudge to our smallness. Easy to buy and easy to deny. The darkness that shows up at our doorstep, knocking. But again, we came to this place curious, and sometimes bewildered. Wanting only to release the frozen and forgotten parts. Only to release the frozen and the forgotten parts. Yet, the stickiness of the stories, tattooed through the fierceness of this storyteller, tattooed to the fierceness of this storyteller. Tell me again, and maybe again, why should this work, sitting in silence, removed from a world, always tugging at our sleeves, Could it be so simple, sitting on the sidelines of the world, finding three simple tools, which we already own? Knowing when we have this gratitude, forgiveness, and attention,
knowing we have this gratitude, forgiveness, and attention. The body, in its wisdom, has its fundamental truth. Ease. The mind, in its delusive narcissism, cannot see itself missing its luminosity. A fundamental brightness brought on by mind in body. Mind in body. When you have to show up at love's doorway, only in these old battered rags, barefoot and foolhardy, knowing it's something undeserved, unearned. And yet, this naked, holy, sacred heart knows how many times it has wished for something else, something different. Knowing it's no longer about something or someone, but something much, much bigger. The heart as big as the world. This grand mysteriousness, spaciousness. Mind anchored to body, ready to meet the world. Heart can now lead the way. Heart can now lead the way. Let's just sit for a moment. I have to change your posture. It's just this practice of that you've been practicing. this struggling. Extra. This truth of body and ease, mind and luminosity, and heart as big as the world, heart this vast, open spaciousness.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.